This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. I'm your host, Casey Finey, and this is Creative Conversation, a Fast Company podcast. This season, we're really diving into specific problems that creatives face at every stage of the creative process. So that means from brainstorming, coming up with ideas, deleting ideas, to getting those ideas out into the world. And to do that, I'm talking to psychologists, doctors, experts, just anybody who's made it their career in understanding creativity a bit better. And by doing that, hopefully you'll be able to manage your own creativity. This episode is all about analyzing brain fog, which, oh my God, I know way too much about. Fun fact about me, I don't actually fall asleep, I just crash. I have a perfectly wonderful mattress, new in fact, but on any given night, you can find me passed out on my couch with my laptop open on my stomach. It's really bad. Because of my work schedule and dismal sleep habits, I feel like I'm in a perpetual state of brain fog. That feeling where I can't concentrate and my thoughts run together or wander off completely. I think we all know how brain fog feels, but what exactly is it? Even the framing of the question kind of speaks to the complexity of the issue. You know, what exactly is brain fog? That's Dr. Jeff Egler. He's a medical director and lead physician at Inspire Health Center in California. And one problem he's very familiar with is brain fog. It's more of a constellation, a loose constellation or grouping of symptoms that more collectively is known as brain fog. That constellation of symptoms that I'm talking about can be anything from difficulty thinking clearly, problems with your concentration, problems with your attention, problems with your memory, problems with creativity. You may not be able to think clearly or even to function clearly. So brain fog can actually be responsible for or associated with issues of motor instability or, or, or lack of coordination, for example. So it's pretty much an umbrella that includes any kind of cognitive or mental decrease in your capacities. Right. And, you know, I feel like most people may assume that lack of sleep is the main contributing factor of brain fog. But what are some causes that aren't so obvious? I could make an argument for that. It's really just on the metabolic level, on the cellular level, your cells that help work together to create greater units like your brain and to bring about thoughts and your level of consciousness are not working on that elementary level as well as they could or should be. And so when you think about it from a functional level, so why aren't they working well? And so maybe it's they're not, you're not getting the proper food, so nutrients. Maybe you're not getting the proper amount of rest, which basically translates into a lack of repair and restoration on the cellular level. Maybe you're not getting proper energy because elements of your cells are not able to process the nutrients that you're getting correctly. But then there's also the process of inflammation. Getting back to your question of what can cause this, anything that causes inflammation can cause brain fog. Inflammation is the immune system response to something that it doesn't like. So it doesn't like foods that don't fit for you. It doesn't like not getting a lot of sleep and it doesn't like stress. So when trying to answer the question of what else can cause this, I often tell the patients that I work with, there's only one cause of disease, only one, and that is stress. 
but there are infinitely many causes of stress. So what are the stressors? And, and usually it breaks down to, like we've already talked about, food, sleep, relationships, work, how do we move our bodies or not move our bodies? So are we getting enough exercise? Are we getting the right ex- amount of exercise? Are we getting too much exercise? Relationships, are the stresses coming from our work relationships or our home relationships? And these can have metabolic effects on us and, and lead to stress reactions, which lead to immune reactions, which leads to improper or suboptimal nerve function. And there you go. That's brain fog. Brain fog sounds like the number one killer focus and productivity. That is, until it's not. Dr. Marika Veet is a psychology professor at Albion College in Michigan. And in 2011, she studied groups of people solving two types of problems at different times of the day. One set of problems were more analytical, like math questions you see on the SATs, and the other set of problems were insight-based. That is to say, they were more open-ended. Dr. Veet found that the time of day had no impact on the subject's ability to solve the analytical problems, but participants did their best work during their non-optimal time of day, meaning they were more creative when their brains were a little foggy or sleepy. Simply put, when your mind feels distracted or unfocused, when you find yourself looking up cat videos or recipes for dinner instead of focusing on the task at hand, that's actually when your mind is most open to creative ideas and solutions. I chatted with Dr. Veet about how we can apply this to our own lives. So, I mean, during your optimal time of day, your cognitive processes, especially a process called inhibition, is working very well. So inhibition basically keeps your brain free of clutter. Uh, It's really good at screening out irrelevant things and focusing you on the task that you need to be focused on. So, for example, you're sitting in front of your computer and in the office next door, your colleague is talking on the phone. During your optimal time of day, you're able to really just screen that out and focus on the paper you're writing or uh, whatever you're doing at the moment. During your um, non-optimal time of day, your uh, cognitive processes, your inhibition isn't as good at screening out things. So you're distracted by your colleague that's next door talking on the phone. You just cannot ignore you know what the person is saying and you just kind of are part of their conversation or uh, you keep thinking about that fight you had with your significant other or your mom or something like that and you just can't make your mind stop because inhibition at that point the ability to just kind of screen things out keep your mind clutter free is not quite as effective So that's what I find so interesting about this study, because most people would assume that having their mind race with a million thoughts other than the task at hand would be a distraction. So how can people channel this particular state of mind into something productive or useful? I mean, for me, sometimes it's, you know, I think about things a little bit, then I get distracted and I wander off on the internet. Mm -hmm. I do the exact same thing. And then I wander (laughs) off on the internet, right? I do the exact same thing. And, you know, during your optimal time of day, that's unlikely to happen. You're probably going to focus in on what you need to do. Let me kind of bring in another study I've done more recently that kind of puts a little bit of a caveat on top of that. So I did a study looking at ADHD symptomology. So not individuals diagnosed with ADHD, but self-reported ADHD or inattention type issues. So it was kind of a questionnaire that said, you know, my mind wanders and kind of rated from one to seven how often that happens. And I had people fill out that questionnaire, and then they completed uh, creativity tasks. 
And what I found was that the higher you indicated kind of inattention or ADHD-like symptomology, the more creativity, but only for things that are very familiar. For things that are less familiar, you also needed to be a person that was able to converge or use convergent thinking on a good idea. For example, if someone gave you a stack of paper clips and said, make something with this, your mind will probably go back to your childhood where you made a necklace or a bracelet. But what if you were asked to think of a creative use for a picnic table? You might get a little stuck. Also, when you really think about it, is paperclip jewelry all that creative? After a quick break, Dr. Veet explains the most important part of how to unlock your best ideas. This episode of Creative Control is brought to you by Verizon, the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. So based on what we've covered so far, brain fog can be helpful to unlock your creativity. However, those freewheeling ideas of yours are probably garbage. No offense. Here's Dr. Veet on why it's important to edit your creativity. So uh, divergent thinking is what people think of when they say brainstorming. So it's where you just come up with as many possible thoughts or ideas on a subject. You're not evaluating whether or not those are particularly creative or even particularly feasible. I've had people list that they want to do a dragon sculpture with paper clips, which would be quite an undertaking. A convergent approach is where you then evaluate whether or not something is unique, original, or meaningful, where you kind of think about, does this idea, is this idea feasible? Does this idea make sense? Is this something that's doable? When they have those moments where they have lots and lots of thoughts, that's great. They might need to write those down. And then maybe at a later point when they're able to evaluate those thoughts. Because another very important part of creativity is being able to evaluate which ones of these are worthwhile, which ones of these are original, which ones are meaningful, and which ones are, um, aren't really that original. So when your mind wants to wander, let it. Follow those meandering trains of thought because you might make unexpected connections. That said, you should go back when your mind is a bit more focused and whittle your ideas down. That, of course, is the cognitive way of thinking. But what does a medical doctor think about brain fog being linked to creativity? Here's Dr. Egler again. The reason I think that people get creative when they are not necessarily at their sharpest, how we would define sharp in, I think, a more conventional way, is because their inhibitions are down. Their usual roles of thinking, the structure that we're all sort of taught to think in when you're at work, are flexed. They're loose. And so when those rules come down, we're able to think outside the box a little bit. I mean, that's where the terminology came from, you know, being able to think outside the box. And that's where a lot of creativity comes from. But it doesn't necessarily mean that your consciousness is impaired, like brain fog. It means that it's just sort of different. You're on a different level. I think we all have high points and low points in our respective days, in our weeks, in our in, in the season of our lives, et cetera. So point being, I wouldn't even call that brain fog. I would just sort of, yeah, you're a little foggy because you're tired or 
you know, maybe you ate something that didn't agree with you, but it's a more temporary condition. And quite frankly, I, I, I hear and have experienced personally all the time huge strides in creativity when I'm a little off, when I'm a little tired. <laughs> so would you call it brain mist instead of brain fog or <laughs> how would you describe sure, I it? I like that. I like that. <laughs> okay. So brain mist it is. And it should be said that this misty state of mind isn't just for designers or artists or writers. Learning how our brains prefer to focus or not can be useful to anyone. You know, actually, I think it's something that everybody can benefit from. I mean, one of the um, misconceptions about creativity is, you know, when people say creativity, they they think of things like artists, the designers or whatever. But for a lot of us that study creativity, it's really about everyday creativity. So anybody that comes up with something original or sees a new connection between things or is uh, thinking about something outside of the box, right, in a different way. And and that happens, I think, in all kinds of fields. I mean, my dad was a was an engineer. He was very a very German engineer, so he was from Germany, and he very much approached things in a very very systematic manner. And to my own surprise, that when I kind of talked to him about this research, that he very much agreed with you know what I had found. He was like, oh, yeah, I, you know, when I'm trying to come up with new ways to solve a problem, you know, I just kind of try to sit back, close my eyes, and just think about random things. And I'm like, whoa, okay. So that kind of opened my eyes to, you know, the, the those, that type of thought process is just in, in everything. And in, in we do those kinds of things everywhere. And I can't really think of a profession where we don't at some point have to open up our mind and think of different possibilities and then be able to pick like what, what this, right? Is this, is this something that's appropriate? So let's review. During the time of day when you feel your focus drifting and your thoughts aren't as sharp as you'd like them to be, you're in your non-optimal state. That means your mind's inhibitions are lowered, making it a great time to attack a piece of paper or a whiteboard with all your most off-the-wall ideas. But don't make a decision just yet. Wait, wait, wait. Slow down. You should wait until your optimal time of day to whittle things down a bit and determine what the best ideas are. Brain fog, or better yet, brain mist, shouldn't be a time for you to get so frustrated that you can't focus. It could be a prime time to unleash some of your most creative ideas to date. And that's it for this episode of Creative Conversation. If you like what you're hearing, leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. We love to hear what you're thinking. Be sure to subscribe to Creative Conversation wherever you listen to your podcasts. On our next episode, how uncertainty and creativity go hand in hand. If we feel uncertainty, we might fear that other people might see us as incompetent. So if you're a leader and you don't know what to do next in this situation and somebody's turning towards you and wondering where this meeting's headed or where this next step is going to be and we don't know, we fear that incompetence. So I think that negative association that we sometimes have with uncertainty can impede us from seeing the creative opportunities that uncertainty presents. And so I think we therefore lose opportunities to actually do things in new and sometimes better ways. I'm your host, Casey Finey. Creative Conversation is produced by Danielle Roth.